welcome to a very special uh, Never End the Story, A Good Day to Die Holiday. I'm your host, Ivan, Die Hard. I'm Connor, Die Hard 2. I'm Shauna, Die Hard with a Vengeance. I'm Spencer, Live Free and Die Hard. I'm Tepper, A Good Day to Die Hard. And I'm Alistair. I am the previously unreleased McLean. So, as you may have guessed, uh, this week we'll be watching Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan, released in 1988. Uh, in which the Nakomi Tower is actually the headquarters of 20th Century Fox, the company charged itself rent for the use of the yet-unfinished building. So, everyone brought this movie to us this week. Why? I like it. It's Christmas! It's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's the single best Christmas movie ever made. And I stand by that. Uh, Also, we have Alistair here! Hello, Alistair! Hi! Yes. I'm new. Uh, a good friend and and fan of the show. I'm sure you've not listened to any of it. Oh, hey, no. He's, I've listened follow, to... he's following our advice in previous episodes. Don't listen to us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a thing that's happened. And if you are listening to us, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> it's not good for you. Uh, unfortunately, Jeff and Chris couldn't join us. Uh, life happens. But... They're here in spirit and will be allowed back on the show when they release two more Die Hard movies. We have big cardboard cutouts of them. They're looming. It's a little unsettling. Yeah, uh, if anyone has more they want to say about Die Hard, other than it's the best Christmas movie and it's Christmas. Cool. I mean, like, it didn't feature big in my childhood, like, Home Alone, that be- that was like, that's the child yeah. Die Hard. Mm-hmm. But, like... Child Hard. Especially, like, Home Alone 3, where, like, he definitely killed a bunch of those people. No, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Lives were... Uh, I, I, and, like, at least the the woman villain in that movie definitely paralyzed, for sure, from waist down. <laughs> I, I never got past Home Alone 2. Like, I watched the other ones, but, like... So, watched Home Alone 1, watched Home Alone 3. I hate you. Never watched Home Alone <laughs> 2! <laughs> 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 Tune in next Christmas <laughs> for Die Hard 2. No one can stop me. <laughs> that also takes place during Christmas. Hell yeah! <laughs> so, uh, as is tradition with this podcast, Tepper has not seen Die Hard or any of the Die Hards. Is this a uh, correct statement? Yes, I've seen like scenes from some of the later ones, but I've never watched like a full Die Hard. All right, in fifteen-minute increments. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we're now showing Tepper the poster for this movie. Tepper, describe the poster. What do you think it's about? <clears throat> so in white text at the top, 40 stories of sheer adventure. Uh, the background is a city with a, um, a tower uh, featuring uh, prominently. High above the city of LA, a team of terrorists has seized a building, taken hostages, and declared war. One man has managed to escape, an off-duty cop hiding somewhere inside. He's alone, tired, and the only chance anyone has got. Bruce Willis, die hard. And then uh, on the right side of the poster, in black and white, is uh, Bruce Willis, uh, half his face, either half shrouded in shadow and covered by the tower, and he has a cut uh, above his eye. As is tradition of our movie posters for Bruce Willis movies, you can only see half his face. Yeah. Mm. I did not expect the poster to have that big of a description. Tepper, what do you think this movie is about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, I'm going to preface this with, uh, I watch a lot of a YouTube channel called Red Letter Media. I'm sure I've mentioned it to like, a couple of you. Alistair uh, yeah. watches them. Massive fan. Um, they do, they have like a re-review uh, series where they look back at classic movies and kind of like rewatch it and kind of give their thoughts on it. I've watched their episode on Die Hard uh, regarding that. So like, they don't like, go over the entire plot, like, piecemeal, but, like, they go over, like, the general themes and things like that. So I know what happens. I know, like, how the villain dies and stuff like that. Um, so I don't think, yeah. Who is the actor who plays the villain again? Alan Rickman. Yeah. One of his best roles, in my opinion. Yeah, I know, like, Hans Gruber. Yeah, and I know, like, the bit of trivia where, like, they dropped him... Oh yeah, I was gonna say that. Yeah, the the stunt coordinator dropped it. They said we're gonna drop you on one, two, three, go, and they dropped him on two. So the fall, his yeah. face is legitimate 
fear because they dropped them early. Yeah. Yeah, there's stuff like that. Uh, and then there's like, there's certain, I mean, like in, in media and everything, like, like Die Hard is so popular that there's certain scenes that are just so like, I have a machine gun, ho, 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 um, that like I know about just by being alive. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my knowledge of Die Hard. But can you really call it a life if you have yet to see Die Hard? I'm fine. Like, my you taste in movies is Trashy. perfectly great. Trashy. All right. See you after the film. Hey, Roy, how you feeling? Pretty fucking unappreciated, Al. Hey, look, I love you. And we're back. So, what did everyone think? Good stuff. Hell yeah! Finally, another good movie. Thank God. <laughs> that was honestly a really well-constructed movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can see how, like, every action movie that has come out since is in some way, like, a bad... What, what are those things called that you do in grade school where you take, like, a crayon and you rub over a brass imprint? Mm. I would say a bad facsimile. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's they, they just keep on Xeroxing that movie. That movie took so much care... To show us where every little piece of everything went. Yeah. Well, uh, Jeff, when we watched uh, Back to the Future, uh, Jeff brought this up, like where he talked about how tight the script of Back to the Future was. Where, uh, as like Spencer was saying, like every action um, had, like everything was connected. Like there wasn't wasted time anywhere in the movie. Um, like nothing. Like like it was it was such a tight script. Uh, yeah, which is. Which is really impressive because, like, it was constantly undergoing rewrites yeah. while they were filming. Yeah, this, oh, wow. a lot of this movie was improv because there were so many rewrites happening in the process of filming. Yeah, see, if you didn't tell me that, I would have no idea. Like, I would think this movie was meticulously planned from start to finish. Like, it yeah. just it just feels so well put together. Where even stuff where I mean, like the picture, uh, or uh, as like Alistair pointed out, the the woman in the other building on the phone. Like, yeah. just, like, little things like that where you go, like... Mm. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about McTiernan, who's the director of Die Hard, is that that's what he's known for. So, to talk about another movie briefly, he did Predator before this. Oh, okay. And the, and the funny thing about Predator is when they went into the jungle in Predator, the jungle's a really boring place to film. There's not much to see. It's just a bunch of foliage in your face. Jungle right? and shit. So, what he did in Predator is he actually had his crew cut away a massive part of all the underbrush so they could actually get sight lines to film mm. things yeah. and um so he's really good at that sort of like guerrilla filmmaking where like on set day one they're like oh crap we need this yeah. to be a different way and he'll get it done and then film it. yeah he yeah, was he was always used this consummate professional of getting stuff done until eventually he was caught and jailed for fraud <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but hey that happens right in hollywood but no, but yeah, speaking to Die Hard specifically, it's, it's, as I said, it's like every single plot thread that's in that film uh, is revealed and is finished up in a perfect way so that nothing's left hanging. And like, there's a lot mm. of films these days that leave things hanging. Like you can yeah. catch them doing that where they're like, oh, we didn't know where plot C was going to go. So we just decided to make sure that the audience forgot about it. Or mm. Yeah. Like it was, it was very satisfying in the way that at, like as you were saying, like every single storyline was wrapped up. Like toward the end of the movie, and everything we were shown got used. Yeah. yeah, like no one put any pieces on the board that were like. And then there was the king of this guy. Yeah, and just never like every, every single Chekhov's gun was fired. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, like even um, toward Chekhov's the end of the plaza, uh, <laughs> like I was going to say, well, what about the newscast guy? And then right after, right, right as I was about to say that, she punches him. And I was like, okay, that, that yeah, everything solves comes that. Back like, yeah, like, it, it comes down to even, like, the limo driver getting his yeah. getting his moment to shine by punching out the hacker. I yeah. forgot that he existed, right. and then he well, showed like, up and punched the hacker. But he kept hacker. showing up yeah. through the whole movie, yeah. which obviously is... being reminded he exists. Yeah, like, we, we lose track of him for, like, maybe, like, 30 minutes in a row there. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, like... But, but then, yeah. But he, he's great because, like, he's, like, that comic relief in the role, like, a very, like, serious movie mm -hmm. where it's, like, there's these brief moments of, like, levity where it's, like, oh, man, like, maybe he can, like, call the police. And he's just sitting in the back with the cassette playing, like, on the phone. Or, like, the bear. Yeah. Please tell me you've heard the gunshots and, I'm, and you're calling 911. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of that's like, that's, that's the thing about films. Like I'm, I'm a big eighties film buff. I grew up with mostly eighties films. And the thing that really catches me about them is that films today, action films today who want comedy elements, they will always do it non subtly. Like if you look yeah. at a Marvel movie, it's always dramatic moment undercut with a joke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas with Die Hard, the jokes are interwoven into the dialogue. Like, yeah, this is Agent Johnson. No, the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's... And it's funny, but in the moment. Yeah. So yeah. you go, haha, that's funny. Chuckle, chuckle. But then you're back to what's actually happening. Yeah, it doesn't and you're not removed from the situation by, mm. oh, you know, who, you know, whoever said a joke that just yeah. felt like made a reference to something. And it's, you know, so Die Hard always has that flow to it where... Yeah. It's an action movie, it's a comedy, it's a thriller, and it all just flows so well together. Yeah, and, like, the whole scene with the um, limo driver at the end was actually, like, so brilliant because, like, on one hand, it shows what was their actual escape plan, like, a terrorist escape plan. Yeah. Uh, and then, two, deals with that guy without having to involve him in the upper floors. Three, wraps up the storyline with the limo driver where it's like, no, we didn't just have him sitting in the parking garage for the whole movie just to be comic relief. He has a very active part in the story and is critical, too, because he takes out one of the terrorists. It was his like, one moment of intuition. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole joke about it, though, is that he's otherwise a bumbling, like, lazy, yeah. like, I got this job. You know, like, that whole line, he says, ah, my boss thinks I'm on my way to Vegas. Yeah. yeah. He's not a consummate professional. He doesn't yeah. do his job professionally. So you're like, okay, so he's a layabout or whatever. Well, like, and like, then we... he shows up to do something that solves mm. a problem, and all yeah. of a sudden you're like... He took the initiative, and like you see it in his face when he punches the guy, and then like shakes his fist. He's like, ah, "I did something. I succeeded well, in something." Even then, like he he's like a, he's an interesting character too because like he is shown to be quite um, perceptive. Yeah. Like the opening, the whole yeah. opening dialogue is him basically like shaking down McLean for his entire family situation mm. and doing so no problem. Like, yeah, and like yeah. yeah, and like just such a great way to avoid just exposition from yeah. McLean to yes. establish yeah. the entire situation. And yeah. like it builds up the limo driver, it builds up McLean, um and uh like shows yeah, like he's not just this idiot. Like, yeah, he's lazy, but he's not just this one dimensional like laugh of this idiot little you yeah. know through the movie. So I've been kind of thinking about this and I think that like we were commenting on how it's a uh, it's a long movie like it's what like two, two hours, hours and ten, yeah, something yeah like two that. twelve yeah I think that that extra like forty minutes goes into looking out the window and seeing that the lady is on the phone across the street mm-hmm. and minor minor well I wouldn't call them world building situations but mm. yeah minor things that allow the world around the situation to feel organic yeah right yeah. like the, as i said when we were doing the screening is that the movie shows um mclean's thought process through image so like mm. whenever you're seeing him and you're talking fo- to himself and talking to himself <laughs> or um al and the whole thing is just developing like okay this yeah like this floor is computers this floor is construction and you see him writing the names down like you can follow yeah. his thought process mm. on how he's dealing with the situation well, and you take 10 minutes what like 10 15 minutes out of the movie to watch him go like immediately rational plan A, immediately rational plan B. Yeah. Okay, I guess I have to do this myself. Like I've tried now the first three things that everyone shouts at horror victims. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and now I have to go and open the door to the basement. Yeah. Because like I called the police and they're like, no, we've always come out to that house and it's always been false alarms. Fuck you, man. Like. Yeah. Just, well, and and I, I find like it it helps really establish this uh, sense of threat that he's under and like how he has to improvise his way through where it's not just automatically he knows the best thing to do always because he's John McClane and you know, he's an action hero. It's like initially he's like, this, this situation is fucked. Yeah. Uh, and then later on he goes, the situation is even more fucked. Can you guys please fucking do something? You useless shits. Mm-hmm. I'm getting shot at and I've got glass in my feet and I'm bleeding fucking everywhere. And like, yeah, like at the start, he's very reluctant to to kill the man because he's a police officer. Yeah, and then like by the second one and the third one, like he does it in self defense, and then like after that, he's just like, "This is just how this is going to oh. have, have to happen." Oh, we were laughing when he kicks the guy in the face, and then jumps on him. I was like, "You motherfucker!" So like, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna kill you. Like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, "I'm gonna you. fucking kill you." <laughs> and now yeah. let me read you your rights. <laughs> yeah, we're joking. Like you have the right to remain silent as he's punching him. 
I really liked his evolution into an action hero because he does start out as just a regular cop and he does the most reasonable thing. But then as the situation gets worse and worse, he just turns into this action hero and like he does cool things because they're the last resort. Well, and every step of it's believable. Yeah. Like at every moment you see him go like, okay, again, like the most reasonable thing for me to do here is what I'm about to do. Yeah, I, ha- I had to kill that man in our unarmed combat. Mm. Otherwise, I would have had to shoot him. I had to kill that man in armed combat. Yeah. I had to throw this explosive down here because they're shooting missiles. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like I guess. I, okay. <laughs> On the topic of uh, plot threads, why that? I'm really confused. What the the C4 that he threw down the elevator shaft accomplished? It just killed. It killed the guys who had the missile launcher. Yes, because they were shooting up the police. Oh, yeah. okay. And the also only, detonated the the other stinger missiles. Yeah, sure. The, the only difference being is that unlike he, he just didn't succeed in stopping them. Stinger from, missiles can't melt steel beams. No. <laughs> Apparently, the building was still standing perfectly fine. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. No, it's just no. I was just saying, like they they essentially had completed their task when they were when they were blown up. Right. So like that might have been the reason why you you just missed, like you just didn't compute why he did it. I mean, they were definitely gonna shoot. They were gonna definitely shoot the next one, right? But at the same time, like they had already done damage to the APC. So at that point, you're thinking twice for no reason. Yeah, twice for no reason. But. (laughs) And, and, like, speaking of him, like, just going back to him as an action hero, what I really like is he's not superhuman. Like, he he does take a lot of punishment throughout the movie, but, like, the way he engages with the villains, uh, like, whenever he's not one-on-one, he's always very clearly at a disadvantage in the scene. Yeah. Uh, Whether he's, like, running away, getting, like, shot, pinned down, where he, like, for example, he had to leave the detonators, and, like, you can tell he's not operating fully by the end of the movie where he's like he can barely walk mm-hmm. uh he's got blood everywhere just yeah he escapes most uneven situations through luck yeah yeah that's just a large like, it's a large part of just it, like yeah. like he like they just sprayed at his bullets at him and he sprayed him back and he just he managed to get some hits yeah or like managed to like quickly improvise like an escape like when he um using the submachine gun plus uh it's um strap uh, yeah. yeah uh getting down to the vent. Uh, mm. And, like, like, catching it. Yeah, but, like, constantly had to improvise escapes. Yeah, yeah, uh, like he, yeah he's very smart when he has the time to think. Yeah. But, but, but he's but, very lucky when he doesn't get But, like, chance. what I mean is, is, like, as, like, you know, like, you'll see this in, like, a lot of action movies, uh, sometimes done well, many times done poorly, where it's just like, oh, I'm a badass, I'm gonna walk into 50 guys and kill you all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, like, that has its place and is, like, fun, but it's it's nice to see an action hero who's, like... Yeah, very clearly under threat uh, and at the disadvantage. Yeah, uh, when they were load, like when they were coming into the plaza, there's actually there's a lot more of them than I remembered there being in the movie. Which is like, wow, he takes out a lot of people. Just like I thought it was like six or seven. And like he definitely has like action hero sized clips of bullets, but it does like kind of give you like it's not an unreasonably unreasonable number of bullets relative to, like, if he's picking up, what, like, four or five clips for every dude he kills? Yeah. And, like, obviously he doesn't get any off of the Stinger Missile guys, because, yeah. you know... You gotta oh, find a way down there. You have to backtrack all the way through the dungeon to get down to the level one, and it's not worth it for the... Yeah. <laughs> for the bullet. Well, <laughs> yeah. and, and, like, he, like, loses his, like, weapon uh, several times. Because, like, the elevator stunt destroys it. Yeah. Uh, and, like, on top of that, that was just kind of action filmmaking at the time was... Yeah, the infinite bullet hose. <laughs> but, they, yeah, they do a better job of it than most, because they yes. do show that, it's just like, look, everyone has one of these guns. Everyone has a couple clips. Yeah. We see them reload two yeah. or three times. You see him check his ammo counts, too. Like, yeah. They, like, if you look at movies like Commando, like, they don't even care. Arnie's just wandering around firing like like the, the, the entire action sequence of one the clip. The final right? scene of Commando where he walks out into like the field and just is like yeah, just just, and they're just following. Oh, I, yeah. God, I, love I do genuinely so want to just see a movie where like the hero walks out with an actual like fire hose and just like those <laughs> 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 bullets. <laughs> The bullet hose. Schwarzenegger in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
Yep. Yeah, at the time there was a big rivalry between the two, uh, yeah. uh, Bruce Willis and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that that continued into uh, that. It was also was it was actually three people. It was him. It was those two and Sloan. Yeah. Were What's always, the highest office? Of government, the other two have attained. <laughs> what did I say? No, no, no. Just like... So, just, like, Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger became the governor of oh, California. Yeah, 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 yeah. Were they... Did they achieve any kind of accolades other than... No, Bruce Willis so, made a, a, like, music album, which is pretty bad. So, like, me. <laughs> so, like, if I went home and was like, hey, mom, I became the governor of California, what did you do, sister? And she was like, here's my album. I'd be like, that's nice. <laughs> Well, I mean, if we're, if we're going, if we're going on, like, one of the funnier, sto- one of the funnier stories about that is, um, Schwarzenegger tricking Stallone into casting himself in, uh, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Anybody know about that movie? No. no. You guys should watch that movie. It's really bad. Um, it's called Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, and it's one of those comedies, like, uh, Kindergarten Cop or whatever it is, like, that, that early 90s, like, comedy cop thing yeah. that they're doing with the action stars, but it stars Stallone. And Stallone heard from somebody that Schwarzenegger wanted it real bad, so he went and auditioned for it and got it, and then it was just this whole, like, this huge joke against Stallone. So they had that. So, like, that reference in Die Hard is just a reference to, like, the fact that McTiernan had worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator, Mm. right? But at that that time, that's what it was. What was Bruce Willis' first major role? I actually don't know that off the top of my head. Yeah, that's actually something. Die Hard too. That's actually something I would wouldn't mind learning someday yeah. because I actually don't know where he got his start. We have some requests to make. We need a sofa for a pregnant woman, and we need some coke for. Our- <laughs> yeah, we need coke for a <laughs> He's tired of waiting. Yeah. John Mc- yeah, his sniffling is getting louder. Please, can you do something? He's driving me nuts. He can't relax without his cocaine. Yeah, uh, get this man some coke and some credit cards, please. Hans. Booby, I need cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's it's like I knew you for years. It's just oh. it is really impressive. Like by the end of it, you really know, like you really understand the top like five floors of that building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like yeah. yeah, like every time it goes to, it's just like you see uh, John. You're just like, oh, it's just like he's on floor thirty-four. That's where the computers are. Yeah, yeah. That that was here. Here is the steam room. <laughs> that that was something I was thinking about too. Is how they. Uh, uh, like revisiting those areas over and over again, like yeah, it gives like such a great sense of familiarity, and um, it's efficient well, with your sets. Yeah, well, well there's yeah. that, but like also, um, it's important in a metro Metroidvania. You got to go back for the well. Well I, I, well, I was going to make like kind of like a video game reference where visiting locations in different contexts is a lot of fun. Yeah. Right, like when you have your normal like peaceful area all of a sudden invaded by enemies and things like that. In a similar sense, where now like, you have your double jump. Uh, in a similar sense, with this movie, like we get these brief glimpses and they get developed. Like, and there's yeah, and, and like as yeah. the as the audience, we have the benefit of seeing a lot of the scenes before John does. Yeah, and then he sees them, and then later has a different context for them. Like when he when he first goes in into the steam room and finds Hans there. Yeah, he has no real reason to be on this floor. He he's just our. He has actually literally no reason to be on this floor. Yeah. He's just, I guess, on this floor for the first time and finds Hans. And then later he's just like, wait, why was Hans there? Um, Mm. And, like, one thing I will say about this movie, too, is, uh, Alistair's pointing this out, is um, there's some really, really nice shots in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, Like, shots that convey great, like, information to the audience while also looking really good. Like, one that impressed me was... um, the scene uh, with uh, Hans and uh, McLean, where it's a shot of Ray's back, yeah. and then just in the front uh, right of the frame is uh, the gun and flashlight just behind, and like it just yeah. it's so good because it, it conveys so much information, and it's like like style wise looks really cool, yeah. uh, and that goes for like there's the um, the filmmaker he loves to do that thing where like just there's some danger just slightly out of frame like another one was when the cop walks in and he's like oh you mind if i take a look around and they're like yeah sure and then you just see like the guy with the mp5 just around the corner and then the cop decides to like stop turn around like walk away but like he does that like a like that kind of style of shot a couple times throughout the movie and it's it's really good yeah and, and like 
looking back to the opening as well, Alistair was saying like it conveys a whole bunch of information and then we see that information like played out later on mm-hmm. where like the security guard gets shot and the guy at the front desk and just... And, and there's like even more subtle stuff like when uh, McCain's walking through the entrance lobby, it's it's a shot done from the low in front of him and, he's, and it's dollying backwards and he's walking forwards and when you look up above his head, there's the giant security gate that comes down about 20 minutes later. Yeah. So you can tell, like if you've seen the movie before, you go, oh, there's the shutters that drop. Yeah. Right? Mm. During the during the SWAT scene, the, the, he drops the two shutters between the uh, elevators and it's just showing you stuff that's going to be in, going to be in action later in the movie. Yeah. And I just like, you don't have that very much anymore where films are no longer these tight-knit stories. Yeah. You wouldn't get an action movie in this day and age that took place in one office building. Mm, you might, you might. There's, there's, there's the raid. There's and, the raid and dread. <laughs> but I mean, like the raid and uh, dread. Okay, yeah, much. dread is a fantastic example. Yeah. Of, I thought you said red. I'm like that definitely does not. No, 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 no. Dread is a fantastic example of doing the Die Hard formula well. Yeah, fantastic idea. But yeah, no, it's it's to me, it's one of the few action movies that dared to be that simple. Yeah, if you think about it from a perspective of like predator or uh it's contemporary films there's always some greater problem or they're always in some there's always more yeah uh, there's always more scene locations there's always more set locations there's always more things to do and places to go but with die hard it's all centered around that building like from yeah. about 10 minutes into the movie you're not away from that building until you until the movie's over yeah well it's mm. interesting because like if it wasn't for the scene of the uh newscaster yeah in we, actually there yeah. we would not like when he goes to their house yeah and also we when would he's not at the have left the yeah movie. yeah exactly and you you deal with like i just feel that there's a lot of filmmakers are either well i, I think like sometimes they get in their head that like in order for their story to stand like complexity is good yeah and we're getting we, that we way. can't just tell like a simple story where knight saves the princess like that'd be wrong yeah um Whereas, like, I've always felt that, like, I don't mind a story where I can guess the ending as long as the emotional payoff is there. Yeah. Like, if you can move me, even if, even if I know, or even if the story is simple, then, like, you've got me. I guess something else to talk about is actually the subject of his motivations, because, un- like, he wasn't motivated to save his wife until, like, most of the way through the movie. Right, like, it was initial. Yeah, his initial yeah. reaction was to survive. Mm. Like you, you notice that from the very like because he's in the he's in the room, and then you have the fire, you have the gunfire, and then he looks out, and then the whole thing, the whole scene goes down, mm-hmm. and then you just assume because it darted like it darted his vision to the exit across yeah. the hall that at some point in time during the commotion Please. he got away, and then the whole thing is like yeah for the first like twenty or thirty minutes he's literally just trying to create sort of like a beachhead by which to deal with the problem, yeah. mm. right? Yeah, which then you say space. is to go through original channels, like try the phone, try to get a hold of people outside, pull a fire alarm. Yeah. And then like, that's when you notice that like, this guy's a cop that understands procedure. And then like, even when Al's like, you know, they're sending in the SWAT. He's like, no, no, do they not know who they're up against? It's yeah. like, he understands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's, it's really cool. Because there's all these little things that the movie does to do that, right? Like, like uh, just developing all these different different places for the characters to go, so yeah. that you can get caught in one on one situations. Well, yeah, and that's the thing that's really cool about it is, yeah, Hans only figures out the connection in the essentially in the climax of the film, which is a really really interesting way to do it because you no longer have that outdated, overworked trope of saving the princess. Yeah. Instead, you're dealing with a situation where she just happens to be a hostage who's relatively anonymous in the context of the and, film. And the payoff is so good. And then the payoff is really good. Because, right? like, like she obviously like comes in. He's in her office, like, the whole time. The picture's down. He glances over at and sees a picture, but doesn't, like, Doesn't pick up? Uh, you know, doesn't become relevant. And then, like, a couple times goes, like, oh, who are you? Um... And then eventually it's like he sees the newscast, puts up the picture frame, two and two, and it's uh, it's good. Like like it has that great. Uh, so yeah, like the, the payoff is so good. Yeah, and there's there's even small payoffs. 
like there's the there's the payoff to the guy on the airplane that says put your your bare feet on the floor and curl your toes with the carpet. That's mm. how he gets barefoot. That guy's an asshole. Movie. Yeah. Fuck that he dude. was in on it the <laughs> whole time. <laughs> and he's then a my, terrorist. He's a terrorist just like the rest of them. And then my favorite one is right at the end of the movie. People don't see it very often because they're too busy paying attention to the fact that Hans Gruber's about to fall down, fall out of a building. The Rolex. But the Rolex is yeah, what's dude. keeping him alive. And yeah. they mentioned, and he mentioned that as yeah. a means to be like, I'm better than you, yeah, John yeah, McCain. To right? tell, tell him about the Rolex. Tell him about the Rolex. Yeah, and as soon as I saw like what was on her arm. Yeah, I, like, I, yeah. and then the payoff is that that Rolex is what he gets rid of yeah. to kill the bad guy. So like even small things like offhanded comments about watches... Yeah. And dialogue trees that seem to go nowhere have some kind of payoff. Yeah, because like like the filmmaker, like they could have just had that as one off dialogue to show this guy's an asshole, he's making advances toward Yeah. Uh uh McLean's wife. But then at the end of the movie, like turns it into something more. Like uh-huh. it's just I shot a kid. Also, yeah. drop onto the count of two. Do you guys remember when being a policeman who shot a kid meant that you had got a desk job? Yeah, and, and, it, just... and it wasn't. It wasn't just. It wasn't like yeah. What Wait, it we, have we, been. The, we the police have investigated fellow police officers and found them to be totally innocent. Yeah, there's no way that that could possibly be biased at all. Also, McLean with his gun on the plane. Yep. Yeah. That's just like that's just and like smoking a re- in the airport. It's just like a really bad movie called Turbulence Three: Heavy Metal. It's a really bad movie. But the funny thing about that movie is it's a movie about a, a metal band that plays a concert on a plane, and there's like box cutters everywhere because it's 1998 and 9/11 hasn't happened yet, so they're like wandering around with box cutters. But yeah, they did that. They're yeah, they're like because we had a we had a conversation about that. Is like are are off duty cops allowed to take their firearms out of jurisdiction just because they happen to be cops? Like I have no idea in the United States if that's mm. even. It's just like don't worry, I'm a cop. I'm off duty. This is my personal one. I just, I just might shoot you. <laughs> it's just that's what I told them when they let me on this plane. So even if I'm on duty, I might shoot you. <laughs> what I'm saying is, look out for cops. <laughs> yeah. Don't have to be worried about me having a gun. Just be worried if I have a staircase. And then there's like I, I can't remember if I read this. Up, just speaking of details and relating to the dialogue, I I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying this because I think I read it somewhere, or I might have heard it on the Red Letter Media review. Actually. Yeah. Um, but apparently the two brothers are supposed to be Swedish, Carl and uh, yeah. the other one. And that comes up because Hans Gruber, when they're fighting, um, McLean in the computer room, he says, shoot the glass in German. It's either, I think it's German. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't. And, he, and then Carl looks at him weird. Mm-hmm. And everybody interprets that as like you want me to shoot the glass, but um, a lot. But apparently, McTiernan said in interviews that what he meant that to be was that he doesn't speak very good German, right? And so he was confused, and then he said, and then he reiterated by saying, "Shoot the glass," and everyone thought that oh, that's the uh, that's the director saying the audience isn't going to know what he said, so he has to say it in English. So tell him to say "shoot the glass," but they did it in a way that it wasn't just him saying "shoot the glass," it was him creating. A situation where the characters were interacting in yeah. a way that mm. made them more like characters. Yeah. Because he didn't understand him right away, and it's a shoot the gloss. <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's how I interpreted it, but that's partially because we established from the start between us yeah. that they were Swedish. Yeah, so I'm pretty like, sure they yeah. are. I'm pretty sure they are, because Carl can be German, can be Swedish, it can be, yeah. you know, Dutch, it can be everywhere. So I, But I'm pretty sure his last name is like something son, like mm. in the actual credits, so I'm pretty sure he's Swedish. And that's kind of this nice little like link to it. It's either that or he says shoot the glass in Swedish, but Hans Gruber's Swedish is bad. One or the other. But either way, there's a miscommunication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know either language, so I couldn't tell you. But small things like that, that develop character in a world that allow you to feel like the world exists and that it's functioning within logical rules. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, because like, when movies don't function in a logical way, when they're trying to be realistic, it pulls me right out of the immersion of the film because my first thought is, that's not how that would work. Or that's yeah. not how that would go. And if they're not trying to be realistic, then I don't care. But if they're really trying, it's like... Like, even down to, like, that one... Uh, the, the, the one Asian terrorist who's, like, setting up at the confection stand and yeah. he just, like, grabs the crunch bar from... Because he just looks down. Ooh, 
you have one of those. Like, he didn't, chances are that was an ad lib. Like, chances are that was McTiernan on set going, well, I don't want him just standing there. What are we going to do for this? What are we going to do for the establishing shot of this character setting up? And then they just go, well, have him grab a chocolate bar. I don't know. Yeah. Like, it could be very well, like, small things like that. That's what McTiernan was really, really well known for, is adding those little flares of humanity. Yeah. To action well, 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 I mean, even, like, among the villains, like, when he goes, like, and my five members of the Asian Dawn, and, like, the one guy's, like, looking at him, like, I read about it on Times one time. Like, well, and that, like, communicates to us that this is not his real... Yeah. No, yeah, it's not his real goal. But, like, the only way that that's really communicated to us is through him going, like, yeah, I'm just making this up. And the other guy going, like, who are these people? Yeah. And then they establish through the news that the the group that he was a part of has issued a statement stating that they have broken off from the group and that they don't represent them. Yeah. So, like, it's interesting. Like, there's just a weird thing where it's like, okay, so now we know that Hans Gruber is rogue. So then that leads you to wonder what his actual motivation is if it isn't for his political gain. Right. Right? And then you figure out later, it's because, wow, look at that. There's $640 million in bonds in the basement of this plaza. So. It's, well... You you need some money to protect your samurai armor. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. You need those bonds to get in the way of your priceless, priceless... And make sure that everyone has a specific spot on a shelf with enough headroom that you can open it to look at your bonds. <laughs> Absolutely. Or the fact that the one fail-safe system in the entire building can be completely circumvented by shutting down the power to the building, which seems like a horrendous security problem. Shutting down power to the block. Okay, fair enough, but that that technician did say he could do it from there. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, he did it from there by calling his buddies back at the place that controls all the power and saying, turn it off, please, mm-hmm. and they're like, what? And he's like, yeah, but no, seriously. No, but oh, yeah. FBI, though. <laughs> yeah, those FBI agents, like, flying a helicopter, and, like, while you're in that helicopter going, like, man, this is just like Saigon. <laughs> Just like Saigon. Wow, that is such a loaded thing to say, considering what was done in helicopters in Saigon. In 88. Yeah, yeah. in 88, that would have been particularly poignant. No, I mean, I don't think we're supposed to like them. No, 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 no. Like, I'm not saying there's, like, they're definitely not, I mean, authorizing, like, American uh, gunships. Two helicopters yeah. with snipers. Uh, and, like, they have a picture of Hans, I guess, by that point, right? Yeah. Well, the news does, at least, so... Okay, so presumably. Can we talk about those helicopters flying through the city for a sec? Mm-hmm. It's crazy to think that they just flew helicopters through the city. The, L.A. was a weird time back then, because yeah. you had to film things practically. So mm-hmm. every once in a while, it'd be like, uh, sorry guys, you can't be around this ten-block radius because we're flying helicopters through skyscrapers. <laughs> You know, some of that might have been, there might have been some movie magic there, but I feel there wasn't because there's, like, it's really hard to uh, chroma key things going particularly quickly. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. Like, I don't think, I think it it was all real. That was maybe, like, a little excessive, like, the scenes of the helicopters flying. They needed some kind of set piece to sort of, like, oh, here comes the cavalry. How's this going to, how are they going to deal with this one? Helicopters don't typically, like, fly between skyscrapers on the way to the destination. No, they don't normally need to. They normally go, like, over, because, you know, they have that option. Well, it's just, yeah, and it's that same problem that with, like, the horrible Sam Raimi Godzilla movie, is that they wanted an awesome set piece, so they had attack choppers fly through New York. When they wouldn't fly through New York that way, they would fly above the skyline. But... They needed something to be cool, so they needed that. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, if this was in any other movie, like, I wouldn't care. It was just, again, like, just the movie's so tight in what it does that mm-hmm. um, that was, like, one of the few scenes where I was... But Godzilla would expect helicopters well, to Well, yeah. <laughs> and, like, um, I don't see what would have been lost by having them just be helicopters to fulfill the plan yeah. that... I guess it's not believable that the FBI would just do what this guy wants. Yeah, there really isn't a reason for that because really at the end of the day, all they do is fly around, shoot at uh, McCain, I keep wanting to say McCain, McCain for a while, and then um, he runs away and then the roof blows up and they die. So yeah, you're kind of right. They're kind of, that whole portion of the movie doesn't really have a purpose besides, hey, look, helicopters and big boom-booms. Yeah. Well, it, or, or even, like, like well, if anything would show going in so assured without proper information I feel like ended yeah. up with their deaths. All yeah. of that stuff was just, like, 
this is how incompetent everyone is because no one wants to listen to the one person who's trying to tell them so, everything. Yeah, you gotta McLean listen to the action. and Al, right? Yeah, yeah, Al, yeah. They're the two guys who fuck in this situation. <laughs> Can we talk about their romance at the end? Oh! <laughs> that that was actually hilarious because someone makes the comment like this was a more romantic like scene than when he found his like wife again. I was like, yeah. haha, you're right. And after I said, haha, you're right, it kept going for easily another 15 <laughs> seconds. And I was like, oh, oh no, this is, this is actually very clearly the significant relationship in this movie. Like, if you think about it, we spent exactly zero time giving any fucks about his wife and how she was zooming down on, what, the 30th floor or whatever. We give a lot of fucks about Al and his whole backstory. His wife is pregnant. That's why he bought the donuts. Like... Just, we've been with Al the whole the whole way the whole time just, just <laughs> from when his shift was about to end until he got to go home we were with Al see, see them both at a Italian restaurant uh, eating either end of a Twinkie and meeting in the middle <laughs> also like at the end of the movie when they like see each other and Shauna goes go to him I lost my fucking shit <laughs> my favorite part of that whole scene was like when he like goes and hugs Al the look of his, like, wife's yeah. face. <laughs> just in the corner of the screen or, like, in the background where she's just so fucking unimpressed the whole thing. <laughs> now we know why they're broken up again in Die Hard 2. <laughs> and, like, Al was giving him emotional support through those trying times. Like, he's sitting on the counter. He opened up to him. Yeah. About the kid. Yeah, and, well, and, and, like, the most time not spent on action is just the two of the, like, McLean sitting in not very well lit rooms, usually with like a lamp at his back, talking with Al for periods of time. The lamp was at his side often too. I yeah. want a, a rom com short film of John and Al. <laughs> oh, and Al even says, "I love you." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the, it is clearly the most emotionally significant relationship in this film. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, God. Other than perhaps. Carl and his brother. Carl gives a lot of fucks about his brother. Yeah. I would also like to throw in the ring Ellis and cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that brother, like, he got strangled, and then at the end, he got out of that somehow just livid. Why? <laughs> Local man literally too angry okay. to die. Yeah. When you say he got out of that somehow, he didn't tie the chain into a knot. He wrapped it around him once and then was like pushed dealt with and then picks up a perfectly good gun and doesn't shoot him he didn't well, shoot mean, any of the swedes well i mean he did like yeah no he kills him with stairs <laughs> he kills the swedes <laughs> with stairs the swedes are weak to he stairs did, he yeah. did put the guy into the wall too uh and like it probably looked like he was dead like he but, wasn't moving or anything yeah, like i dead. thought he was dead but, like, the, like the hostages are running down yeah well exactly we, yeah we see yeah. we see him hanging there for several minutes yeah. I don't know. I just, like, I saw him, like, wrap that around there once, and I'm like, that's not gonna hold. And then he, like, slams him into the wall, and I go, like, I guess that that's, like, movie unconscious or movie dead, in the same way as, like, when he comes out of the building at the end, and he's about to shoot everybody, and he gets shot. It's like, well, you know, when you get shot, you die from bleeding to death. So he's got a good, like, 30 to 90 seconds, at the very least, to hold down the trigger and take his vengeance for... Hans? No, because he has What's his best... brother's name? No, uh, I don't actually know no. his brother's name. Yeah, I don't know. They he died very early. Yeah, very early. It, it gets mentioned, but a lot of names get mentioned quickly there. Um, yeah, but we learned he has better trigger discipline than his brother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, McLean's flex on the terrorists by sending the body down by elevator with the note. No, that's good. <laughs> Which leads to one of Alan Rickman's best line reads. No, Admittedly, though, like, on the topic of him sliding naturally into being an action hero, he was very reluctant to kill that guy relative to how totally nonplussed it was that he then tied his body to a chair and wrote a note on his chest in his own blood and sent it down to his friends. Like... <laughs> Like, that that really is a bit of a hiccup in yeah, the emotional yeah. development of this character. He saw, he saw a chance to banter, and he took it. Like, that's some Skyrim shit. <laughs> well, he's not getting deader. 
That's true. <laughs> I mean, right, but it, but like, if I had moral qualms about killing an individual, having done so, I wouldn't think, well, the deed is done, and then like tie him to a sled and kick him down a hill. Like, <laughs> Carl's like, brother is named Tony. I think that there's a, there's really? many yeah. steps in between there yeah. where I become more and more of a sociopath. <laughs> I just want to see an edit where he just like pulls down the sweater and just like, send nudes. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the uh, Hans and uh, McLean's uh, relationship as well. Like when like Hans is just like, he's like, I know something. I'm going to, I'm going to call up McLean and make fun of him for it. And then <laughs> doesn't get an answer. And he's just like, yeah, he looks so Cause sad. Carl's already crushed the radio. <laughs> oh, Admittedly, listing the things that he knows does seem to be, like, one of Hans's fetishes. Oh, yeah. Definitely. He does just kind of walk around and he's, like, looking for the guy and he's like, maybe if I call his true name, which is a list of everything he's ever done, he will be summoned to me. <laughs> he likes to scare people with how much he knows about them. Yeah. Just like we Except learned. where they are in this building. That would be the prime piece of information, Yeah. yeah. It's just like we learned about the uh, w the one officer. We learned his O face involves cars. Yeah. Mm. Bring in the car. Bring in the car. Almost sounded like a new shot. Bring in the car. The car. What was the plan with the car? I'm I think it was. I, no, I think that was actually trying to rec retrieve the shot people in front of the door. No, uh, like they called it in before they got shot. Yeah, like, and I, like I, I all right, we're on this play. I, so, I feel like what they were trying to do is, like, because a good counter to small arms fire is a heavily armored vehicle. Yeah. Go through the front door, also provide cover, pick up officers, and then... Yeah, the like, side. when it was first called in, it was, we'll gain control of the lobby. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I... But well, then like, it got fucked on the railings for a bit there. Yeah. That was yeah. fun. It's well, just... Well, <laughs> and, and I mean, but I mean, like, I think, like, within the movie, the real purpose of it was for a dip blown up by this and for the yeah, yeah obviously needed to happen, yes. yeah but like i'm just trying to think when they go like bring in the car i'm like to what end <laughs> like i figured like because they show us the like bright lights of the car as soon as you say that and the reason like we hear about them bringing in the car right after the lights are blown out i figured it was like oh we've got a spotlight on this truck and we can do that but like no it seems like the plan was drive up the stairs yeah, in like, the car. Like question is, mark profit. Like, like it, it, <laughs> it, in the car. It is. It is a battering ram. Like and like like yeah. it is it right. Is simply meant to get into a building. So hypothetically, if it had gotten up the stairs, it would have just gone like right through right the fucking in, glass, yeah. and then yeah. we could and just like, get in there. Right into the elevator if it wanted to. Like. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like how they were like trying to like burn down the lock. Uh, move slightly over. Glass breaks at a pretty low temperature. And, like, with a big rock. Did those officers ever really show any signs of intelligent life? <laughs> they didn't to me. <laughs> Touches flower. <laughs> oh! It's, yeah. it's almost like they were develop. Yeah, it's almost like within that, they were developing this, like, they wanted to portray the SWAT as, like, these bumbling, like, weak... Well, it was just kind of, like, all, like, L.A. police. Yeah. Well, I can't even remember... What, I can't even remember what movie yeah. it is now, but there's a movie that makes a That's joke about that. That's why they took that. him off the beat. <laughs> it had nothing to do with it shooting that kid. He was making them all look bad. Yeah. <laughs> they shot, set him up to shoot a kid. You <laughs> shot one minute this week. Yeah, no, exactly. Johnson like, shot three. It's just like, your year end review, you shot a kid. That's just like 10% of quota, man. Yeah, what are you doing? What's, I can't remember what movie it is, but it's that movie that makes fun of like the army because like whenever they're running, it's like, hop, 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 hop. I can't remember what that movie is. But that's what I was thinking of when I was watching the SWAT scene, was just them all running up the hill going, hop, 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 hop. And it's just like, yeah, they were, it, was, it was, I think the scene was supposed to be done to make them look like buffoons. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially... Well, like the whole ground force was just so poor. Well, especially managed. when they hear like, like, like when the when the police chief or whatever was like bantering the FBI agents after they fucking died. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> guess you need more FBI guys, and it's just like I, Jesus fucking I hope Christ. That wasn't a hostage, <laughs> but like he was, he's not that much better. Like, no, very he's much so not. bad at his job. Well, like. That guy very obviously seems to lack fundamental self-confidence because he, like, when Al was telling him, like, you don't know what he's doing, he's, like, immediately, like, 
maybe he's right and like was super shaky on the phone and as soon as the fbi guys show up he realizes he can get back on team al and be like these guys don't know what they're doing and just immediately starts throwing shade yeah like well like because he was the like vice uh captain or chief or yeah whatever. so like vice deputy like he was like he's a very high up but not high enough to actually have to do things normally probably I imagine, like, he got that job off of family. Or I imagine the actual chief was on vacation in, like, yeah. Hawaii for Christmas, and he was just, ah, oh, crap, I gotta deal with this. Yeah, yeah, just like, I have yeah. to do a thing. Yeah. It seemed, yeah, it just seemed like it was setting everything up for McCain. Like, that's the one thing about it that I would almost have a complaint about, even, would be that McCain's set up to be this guy that knows every little thing, and the cops are just bumbling idiots. And that's kind of what that era of, of action hero was was that the action hero knows how to, to save the day and everybody else around him well, just it, getting in his way and you know well it's also like American movies in general love the, the, the small town hero yes they right. also love underdog stories which is yeah. which Die Hard is basically as we said before is like 95% of his engagements he's in at a disadvantage yeah, it's he's the, in New York though I don't feel like he's a small town uh, more so like but like compared to LA like very out of water like different well, well, like, and like, what I because he, you know, he keeps saying like California, like when he keeps coming in, yeah. he sees all the different things yeah. that are different from New York, and it's they're trying to put this like yeah. fish in yeah, water. The guy, especially in the eighties, New York would have been way more like industrial and blue collar compared. And you to... should have seen New York in the eighties; it was gross and, and like post apocalyptic. And kind of what I mean is more like like not that he's literally from a small town, but rather like the sense of. Um, uh, the Untouchables has a great example of this, where you have, like, the high-minded cop who comes in from out of town with all his training, but he he's not streetwise, and then it requires the streetwise captain to really show him how to get things done. And, like, it's that kind of, of feeling where people in authority are incompetent. You have to rely on people who aren't in authority or who are lower on the rungs who actually know how things are done. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of interesting because, like, the only thing he says is that he's been a cop for 11 years. Like, we get no sense of, like, like normally a lot of these movies are, like, graduated, top of his class. Mm, right. <laughs> Killed 100 people be before he got to, to school. Brock Samson. <laughs> like, all we know is, like, he has been doing this for, for a long time. Yeah. And not, like, a crazy long time. Yeah. No. Like, a relatively long time. Yeah. Like, he's just... Like, as far as we understand it, he is an average New York cop. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, like, one of the and fundamental... average L.A. cops are much worse. <laughs> I was gonna say, I guess one of the fundamental contradictions of the movie is the reason that he can do all these things is because he's a cop, and the reason that they can't do anything is because they're cops. Yeah. Like, that It's, it's really... not like he's, it's not like he's an ex-Vietnam are... vet or something. Yeah, right? exactly. We or special to... forces. Or, or... Yeah, yeah, something to explain why he's so good at dealing with guerrilla tactics besides just being quick on his feet. Yeah. He's a cowboy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Sir, this line is for emergencies. This is my first day. Yeah. <laughs> like... Just everyone should have just been like, this is my first day. Yeah, it's like, it's like they I, just decided to put every new hire from LAPD on the same shift. Well, yeah. Everybody else was on Christmas. Well, everyone yeah. else with seniority took Christmas off. Yeah. And like, what so they, the dispatcher's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, what do they think? That like, do they get calls on that channel all the fucking time with people going like, by the way, there's like a literal fucking terrorist attack going on. Can you like maybe do something about this? We and, already got well, a fire uh, alarm from that place. And they heard gunfire. Yeah, they heard yeah. a loud noise that they couldn't identify that hurt her ear so much she had to pull her headset yeah. away from right, her head. Right after a guy is literally trying to tell her that like there's a terrorist attack yeah. going on. There's a terrorist attack. There are many of them. There are hostages. People have guns. There's like, sir, this, this, this is a... This line, call 911. It's like as though... Someone who is currently being like, attacked by terrorists. Also, well, like, the, like the I hate only... to tell you, but I have a radio. I don't have a phone. Yeah, well, this like... is the 80s. It's not like I have a cell phone. The reason I'm calling on this channel for emergencies is because I have a radio and a motherfucking emergency. Like the, like, the only vaguely useful information he didn't give was that the, the phone had been cut. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Not that that would have made any difference. No. No, not, not if she wasn't going to believe the first, like, three yeah. or four sentences. <laughs> Fuck, lady, think I'm trying to order pizza? <laughs> <laughs> what was yeah, the like all of the one-liners seemed like come to California. Not, 
It was like, come to California, or let's go down to the beach, have a few laughs. laughs. Yeah. But they all, like, fit kind of in place. Like, that, like the whole, like, pizza line is actually something that you would say if someone was giving you that yeah. hard time in that situation. <laughs> or the, like, I'm more, I've been more of a, uh, been more partial to Roy Rogers myself, love the, love the frilly. Yeah. 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 Like, those little lines are Super always, tricks. yeah, they're always really. Which is why his code name is Roy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's uh, just like sort of this line is where we're just I want to speak to your manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the titular line, yippee ki motherfucker. Yeah. The line where everybody thinks it happens in one place, but it actually happens in another place. Yeah, it works I, so well in the scene it's actually in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I forgot how subtle it is. Like, yeah. it's just yeah, well, and like, a gentle he, end to the conversation. Yeah, and how he escapes the room before backup arrives. Yeah. yeah. And just slips out. Looks yeah. so good. So well shot. We have like the the shot where Carl kicks the door in up in the up in the elevator shaft room. He kicks it and there's it's backlit and all the smoke comes through and he's like silhouetted and you're like, oh, that's an angry blonde haired man, right? <laughs> and you get really nervous because you're like, whoa, that guy's angry. So like on that note though, I have to imagine. Okay, I, I don't have to imagine it. I want to imagine that when Hans points the gun at John. And, you know, says, drop the gun. And then he starts um, laughing and behaving in a number of other ways that people don't act when they have guns pointed at them. I really, really want to think that his internal monologue was going something along the lines of, like, this isn't what's supposed to happen right now. This is supposed to be doing something different. He's supposed to do what I say instead of laughing and walking slowly towards me. Maybe there's something wrong with this gun. Click. Yeah, well, like, he has no reason to do any of this. He could just shoot him and take the detonators. There's no information he needs to gain from John. He simply wants John to know that he won. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so, like, he's trying very hard I, to win this this conversation. I thought it was because he set down his gun and flashlight so he couldn't just shoot him. No, because no, cause John gives him a gun. Yeah. So, so rather and then, than... And then he, like, he calls in, he's just like, I got the detonators... Yeah, it's, the vi- it's the villain's right. hubris, right? Yeah. The whole, like, mm, yeah. I've won before I've actually won, and in an in actual situation, he would have tried to kill him first before being... Well, like, and especially, in, like, in Han, like, I found that really believable from Hans, especially considering how badly McLean had been shitting all over him. For, well, yeah, well, that's just... Like, and he seems like a meticulous planner. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, like, John has had a stressful day. It's not completely unreasonable that he's just gonna laugh at a gun being pointed at him at this yeah, point. At that point, yeah. yeah. And, like, but, yeah, like, he's, like... Hans is just so desperate to win this situation. Mm. No, give me the detonators. I have a gun. Yeah, they establish they (laughs) establish and they establish Hans at the beginning, like at the beginning of his introduction as that like intelligent villain, right? Because he he's talking about you know Alexander looked out on his looked out on his world and wept because there was no worlds left to conquer or whatever. Yeah, he used the line. Yeah, he literally says the benefits of a classical classical education. education. And then the whole thing is like he he believes himself better, right? And that is where the hubris comes from. So yeah, that scene makes a lot of sense for his character because his character would do that. Whereas like a character like I find it more out of character that Carl didn't just blow his head off the moment he had the bullpup up to his face. Yeah, I would have just shot him in the back of the head knowing who he was, right? Yeah, like he because. All but he, he also cared. went like, hey, oh, this is personal now. I'm going to drop my gun and beat you up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was a little weird. Like, he, two, two, he just listen, kind of wanted to there, avenge his brother. There's yeah. no better fight than two sweaty men fighting it out. Yeah, just two big meat slabs just going at it, right? Like, punching Pounding each other. Pounding each other, yeah. Yeah, real hard. Pounding <laughs> that meat. <laughs> <clears throat> Bonus points if it's on the top of a neck. <laughs> he says he's not a weed. They were on a, a push cart. <laughs> that's hey, yeah, a yeah, type yeah. of mech. Yeah, that's a mech. And he yells, I'll kill you. Which is not something a cop normally yells. Also, that jump kick that he does he was by really the stairs. Tired. Really tired. Yeah. If you're so I tired that you'll murder a man, yeah. you're tired. Yeah. <laughs> you need a Snickers. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I want a nap that. and I'll kill everyone <laughs> to get it. <laughs> Where are the hostages? I'll just, I'll end it now. <laughs> Part of me just wishes that at the end of the movie, when they're pull, like when the when the limousine's pulling away from Nakatomi Plaza, 
and they're in the back. I just wish for comedic effect. I know undercut with the joke, but I still think this would be funny. They're driving away, and then you just see out of like the right side of the screen, you just see two paramedics go running down the street, like wait, 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 because like he literally leaves completely, just head to toe in dirt and cuts and blood, and they're just he like literally and literally got you, shot. Yeah, and he got shot in the shoulder, and you would think that the paramedics would be like, that guy's priority. Well, he's like, he's <laughs> like, fuck. That is, that is Hans's major flaw in his plan, was that they planned to escape in an ambulance. LA doesn't have any. <laughs> Not a single one showed up. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was just the fire department. It was just the fire department like, and the police. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, Al was tended to by a police officer. Yeah. And then it's just like, all right, huh. I cleaned the blood off your face. Stick around, bud. Yeah. <laughs> We'll need all the help we can get. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Now that I think about it, there isn't on. There is no paramedic or anything on screen in that at all. It's all no. fire and police. It's almost like paramedics are just. Maybe they weren't allowed to depict them on screen or something. Or maybe somebody just called up and said, "Ah, nobody's alive who's who's near death." And they're all dead. It's call the coroner. Fine. Yeah, call the coroner. It's fine. But yeah, it's. Hospital was off for help for uh, Christmas. Yeah, a whole hospital. That's how hospitals work. Yeah, definitely. They definitely take the holidays off. <laughs> the yeah. moral of the story is don't have any problems on Christmas. Yeah. Nobody's, with, nobody's coming. Completely oh. within my... Uh... Or be friends with John McClane if you do. Yeah. Or he's I guess the, don't be friends with John McClane if you do. He's <laughs> the only person capable of solving any problems within 72 hours of Christmas Day. <laughs> yep, best Christmas movie ever made. da 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 da, da Tepper's Tops. <laughs> Uh, so... Subtle transition. So this is a special. This is a Christmas special. Uh, we'll be watching this movie every year. Maybe we'll watch the sequels. Who knows? Maybe we'll just keep watching just Die Hard 1 every year. I mean, that's the plan at the moment. (laughs) Die Hard 2 takes place during Christmas. It does, in fact, take place during Christmas. And it's another one set in a situation where it's in one building. Yep. It has, it it borrows a lot of elements. But changes them around a bit. Uh, but yeah, so this doesn't really go into Tepper's Tops. Um, I mean, I feel like I could still put like the actual movie within. Yeah, I'd put like, the like movie we, in and maybe the villain. Maybe Business Dad and stuff like that. But not like, just, don't put it as part of... Uh, I feel like Business Dad party. is obviously John McClane. No. <laughs> no. Ellis. Co- Coke Man. <laughs> Ellis and his, and his cocaine children. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that sounds fine. Well, Ellis we'll... is the proper business that we just don't put anyone yeah, in for never, never in the glory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was hitting on a woman with kids, presumably with knowledge she had kids, so he could have been a business coach Look, dad. It's Christmas, your business, I'm business, you have kids, let me be dad. Yeah, he had, he had aspirations to become I feel, a dad. I feel really motivated right now for some reason. <laughs> I feel incredibly motivated for 5 to 15 minutes first. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. Let me worry about that. <laughs> uh, so uh, this one's um, pretty easy. I'm going to put it in the number two spot. Ooh. Wow. Right behind I Forget. Uh, Back to the Future is in the number two spot right now. So yes, go down but it's behind. What's number Ferris one? Bueller's Day Off. Ferris Bueller. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, terms of villain... I will also put uh, Hans in the number two spot. That is fair. Coming in behind Komodo. Oh, well, yeah. Because damn Komodo. Oh, Komodo. Masterpiece of a man. Do you know Komodo? What's it from? Warriors of Virtue. No, I do not know that. That movie is spectacularly poor. Its villain is unreasonably good. (laughs) I'll have to check it out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, For Coke Business Dad. Um... Put him. I mean, also, like we could, we could put in uh, uh, wife McLean. Like yeah, she, she technically fits as a business dad as well. But. Yeah, I, I just. Oh yeah, no, I, I like Coke, Coke. Coke business dad is. Yeah, he's the um, second. He's the second most business dad. He's the most business. Yeah. but just a little less dad. Yeah, he's, there's more business in that shit eating grin than in like the entire he's, building. He's not as much business as Egg and Orange. No, not even close. No. Like, that guy no. is. Very obviously on more drugs than Alice. Egg and Orange Juice Dad will be number one business dad forever. It's going to be terrifying if we see someone more. You just can't stop 
making orange grenades while also telling his son to get over his mom's death. <laughs> Just crack an egg into a glass of orange juice and tell your kid to suck it up, yeah. your mom's dead. Stop yeah. crying, your mom died like a week ago. <laughs> it's just you can't get worse than that it's, it's gonna be impressive if we yeah. ever beat that um I think I will I really like Coke Business Dad so I think I want to put him in the number two spot oh damn take a number two's two two's across the board across the yeah board. that is the best average of a movie yeah that's good for Die Hard I'll accept that what's the final category uh never the glory never the glory yeah, yeah which it may, eventually, John McClane will get to fight all of his other inc incarnations. At John best, like, it would be putting his kids in. <laughs> that would be such an unfair fight if we put his kids in from every movie. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the most recent one, because his kid turns into, like, some badass Navy SEAL or something. Yeah, well, he's just like, we have two-year-old son. Yeah. We have four-year-old son, who I don't even think is in the second movie. I don't think they're in the second I movie. I don't even know if they're in the third movie. No, because he's then, estranged like hell from her at that point. Here, Here's his, like, legal daughter in yeah. the fourth one, and then... I think the son's in Moscow. I don't yeah, know. I haven't yeah, seen that he one. goes there to save him because he's like a CIA operative or something. Because they realized how good the Taken movies were. Yes. It's, yeah, absolutely. And then that's and then there's only one scene in that entire movie that's worth a damn, and it's the tank scene on the on the bi uh, highway bypass. That's the, yeah. I've not just look that scene up on the internet, and then don't bother with anything else. It's a, such a well crafted I mean, action it's, scene. It's and a then very after good that, scene. We'll, and then after that, it's we, like, yeah. we might get there in five years or twenty. <laughs> Whatever we feel like. And now, to give the only thing anyone cares about, an arbitrary rating. Perfect. Oh. I give this movie a near infinite amount of bullets in one clip. I give this movie one super enraged brother out of one dead brother. I'm going to give this movie uh, seven or maybe eight terrorists out of eleven. I'll give this movie one beautiful romance out of one. I love you. <laughs> I give this movie two stinger missiles out of a potential five that exploded when that C4 went down. I give this movie 30 hostages on the 30th floor. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I actually don't give it a two out of five. It's actually my favorite movie ever. <laughs> what a real rating. None of that. Jeff did that the very first time. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, here's an arbitrary rating, but here's an actual one, because I care. <laughs> uh, yeah, and thank you so much for joining us on this holiday special. We'll be doing this every year. It's going to be crazy if we get more people, and like, yeah, I don't, it'll definitely be a diehard. It might be the first one, it might be the second one, it might be a Macaulay Culkin one. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, yeah, and with that, I've been your host, Ivan. I'm Connor. I'm Shauna. I'm Spencer, and you can find me at, at Spencer underscore Hughes on Twitter. Monster. <laughs> and I'm Tepfer. And our special guest? Alistair. Yeah, I look forward to seeing him more in the future. Ooh. Be a few months, probably, but... Alistair's a busy boy. Uh, and as always, you can find us all on downloadlezebras.com. And a special thanks to 8 Jazz for the use of our theme song. You can find them on YouTube or follow